fam.news. Join us as Brett Thornton, author of Charged Leadership and Executive Vice President at Avocado Green Brands, reveals a seven-step shortcut to skyrocket your leadership prowess. Get ready to revolutionize your leadership style. The Fam Podcast kicks off right now. 1894, Max Englander hand-built the first Englander mattress. Today, Englander mattresses are still bench-made right here in the USA. Proven materials, expertly layered, and every stitch triple-checked. All for you. Englander. Better sleep by design. Hey, are you a mattress retailer looking to supercharge your business? Introducing Podium, your secret weapon. I use it, I'm a huge fan of it, and with Podium's AI-powered lead conversion, you can engage with customers in seconds via text, making it feel like they're talking to a friend. But hey, that's just the beginning. Podium offers texting, payments, reviews, website chat, and more all in one place. You've gotta be the most responsive retailer to help customers solve those sleep problems in the moment. Harness the power of Podium today and start growing your business Visit Podium.com right now to learn more. Welcome to the FAM Podcast with Mark Kinsley. This is where the best in the betting business get even better. Welcome to the FAM Podcast, friend of the show, author times two, EVP at Avocado Green Brands, Brett Thornton, welcome back to the show, my friend. What is going on, my friend? So glad to be here. So glad. Well, congratulations on your second book. And I have to kick it off by asking like the straight up, yeah, charge leadership, holding it up right there if you're watching on YouTube. For I got to get right into it. How is new school leadership different than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago? A lot's changed. You talk about that in the book. I do. I do. A lot has changed, you know? So I think that... Uh, I guess the first thing is that our workforce is changing, right? It's aging. And so we have, uh, I feel like a pretty big band, especially if you look at a lot of sales organizations, whether it's retail or, you know, different types of things, you know, uh, data, real estate, whatever it is, you've got this, you know, young twenties, you got thirties, forties, fifties, you got 55, six year olds working. Right. And so everyone in those generations has, has a different band of learning, right? A different way of intaking the information. And as we've skewed younger and younger in a lot of our demographics, um, so has the way that we have to lead, right? So there's a there's a, a much different way you need to approach people. It's a much more empathetic. It's a much more soft approach, um, just because of the way kids are raised today, which is it's not good, bad, or indifferent. It's just it just is different, right? And so, you know, what I try to do with this book is give people actionable steps that they could use that will work with no matter what generation it is, right? No matter who it is, no matter who you're trying to lead, there's these steps and these tips that I've learned mainly through tons of mistakes on my own over the past 20 years, right? Um, but ultimately I'm trying to give you a cheat code to skip to the front of the line, right? Don't make those same mistakes twice. And at the end of the day, you know, I think when it comes to leading people today, you know, everyone has access to everything. Every information, every video, every guru on TikTok or on, on Instagram. And so I think everyone has this idea of what leadership is. And at the end of the day, I think what we need to do is figure out, A, what are our strengths as leaders? What make us really good? But then the most important thing is understand that the biggest mistake leaders make, and I talk about it in the book, is they try to lead uh, how they like to be led, right? Like, so as their own person, like, hey, this is what I like, so I'm going to go do it this way, or this is how I am, so I'll lead this way. That doesn't work anymore. 
that worked in the 80s, 90s, maybe early 2000s a little bit, where you could be like, it's my way or the highway. Um, but unfortunately, that's not the case anymore. And so I think that what you have to do as a great leader is you have to understand your audience, you have to understand your people, and you have to morph the way you package your message for each person on your team individually, right? And so as I was putting this together, this really started this summer. I was on vacation with my kids up in the mountains in Santa Cruz, this beautiful cabin that we, that we were at. And I just got this bug that, you know what? I've been in leadership for 20 years and I've made a million mistakes and I would love to get this information out. You know, I, I published my first book last year on presenting and it was cool. Um, it was something that, you know, I needed to do. I had all this information for 10 years, but this is actually something that I'm really passionate about. Anyone who knows me knows that I get no better joy in life than seeing people I'm working with like progress and, and become something better than they were, you know? And I think that um, something just got me. I was like, I got to get this out. And so every morning I shot out of bed at like 4.30 in the morning in this cabin and I just wrote out seven things. Like what are seven steps? Like what would I do? Even though I hate steps and I hate, you know, acronyms, but it's very simple for a book. Um, and so, you know, I put together these, these seven steps. So charge leadership actually stands, each one stands for a section of leadership that I believe is paramount to success. Um, and then the rest was very simple. I decided that I was going to stop doom scrolling. So no Instagram before bed and no Netflix. And literally it only took me three months to write an entire book. So that just tells you how much like junk and time we waste before bed. <laughs> so or at least I was, you know, anyways. You didn't sacrifice your sleep and you still got the book done. We like that on a yes. show dedicated to the mattress category. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, no, dig into, no, I didn't dig stay into up late. I didn't get up early. It wasn't that. Good for you. Much applause all the way around. Um, yep. It's really cool. I mean, you were able to kind of audit your life and look at your experience and look at your failures and look at some of the people that inspired you and get some of that stuff out of your head that, like you said, is important as leadership styles have to change based on the audiences that you're that you're dealing with, the audiences that you're serving. When you were writing the book, Charge Leadership, and you were going through those seven steps, which of those seven steps did you start to write and then struggle with the most? Uh, that's a great question. Um, so I started with the C in charge, which is culture. That was easy because I just felt like, all right, this is a great place to start. I feel like this is what, when I talk to people, you know, all when I talk about people about leadership all the time. I feel like I get that asked that question all the time. Like, how do you have a good culture at work? How do you have, a, you know, how do you get people excited? All that. that one was easy, right? I was flowing. I was flowing. Um, I got to heartfelt trust. Uh, that one was easy. And then I got to accountability. And to your point, I started writing it. And I had some struggles with being transparent in things I failed as a leader in my career. So I don't know if it was so much struggling in writing it. It was more struggling in, do I really want to tell people about these failures in my career? Right? Like things I did that I would obviously go back and do differently, you know? But, so that it was just harder to write. It wasn't hard to like physically write. It was just harder as like emotionally. And like, hey, do I want to put myself out there like this? You know, because I did a lot of things, especially early in my, in my career, you know, I had a hard time, um, having difficult conversations, you know, like I'm a people pleaser by nature, you know, and I love to fire people up and I've always had a lot of success with rallying the troops and all that kind of thing. Um, but then when it came to sitting down and putting someone on probation or firing somebody, I mean, I would stay up, you know, all night, right. Just being anxious about it and worried about it. And then um, after struggling with that for years, I finally opened up to a leader of mine at the time. Actually, his name is Brian Fifield. He, he worked for Sleep Train way back in the day. 
And he gave me some of the best advice I've ever gotten in my life about how to handle those situations. And I talk about it and I tell the stories in the book. And, and that honestly changed my work life and even personal, you know, on how to handle situations and how to attack them. And so I talked about a lot of struggles throughout. But the purpose of the book is not so much for me to tell my stories or me to say, hey, this is why I do it. You should do it this way. It's, it's actually the opposite of that. Um, what it is, is there are stories and there are analogies and whatnot. But then the point is that there's actionable things that you do coming out of each one. There's, there's just steps. I mean, literally, I can just flip through the book and show you like it's tons of bullets, tons of things like this is how exactly you can do it. So it's not like this is something that you read and then you're a good leader nine years from now. It's like, I just read a section implemented it tomorrow or tonight or during my lunch break i went back and i tried these three things and i could be a better leader the most important thing anybody can take away from this book and i think i put it in bold you know probably in the very somewhere in the very beginning here um is essentially i'm no perfect leader right like i talk about this i'm not nobody is i don't believe there's a perfect leader there's also no perfect company there's no perfect work culture this just doesn't exist are there great leaders, great cultures? Of course, perfect. We're far from it. What makes a great leader is that they, there's two things. A, you have to truly care about your people and who you're working with, right? So all this is a waste of time if you're not someone, if you don't care. Like if you're, you know, if you're just egotistic or you just want to do something because you want to see your name as a manager or something, that this book's not for you. But if you're like, hey, I care about people. Like I, I want to get better. I want them to get better. Like that's step one. Great, right? So once you got that, that's, that's a good start. Then the second start is you have to understand that you're not perfect. You'll never be. What makes you great is that you constantly want to get better. You constantly want to grow. You constantly want to learn. And here's the hard part. You constantly want to evolve. And evolving is hard because it means you need to change. You need to keep up with the times. And that something that worked yesterday may not work tomorrow. And that that's okay. That's not a big deal. That's actually just the common nature. Like if you think about how I led in 2019, right? Versus how I led in 2020 during the pandemic versus how you lead coming out of it versus, you know, the economics of what's going on, macro, micro, all these things. Like you cannot say I, I'm doing the same thing I was doing just three years ago, right? If you want to truly be successful because the landscape today is so different. And so I put in here a lot of things that ultimately helped me get through that. But, but it can't be just about my opinion, you know? And so that's, what's really exciting about this book is that I have case studies throughout the book. So I have these incredible leaders. These are people you, you know, I challenge you to, to look up and connect with each one on LinkedIn because they're just remarkable. Um, and so they, in each section, there's one or two case studies that actually talk about the specifics of what that chapter is, but in their own real life, you know, like, so my friend, Caleb, he's the CEO of, of destination motivation. He runs this incredible organization and he talks about starting the business from scratch with his best friend. And then literally after getting it to a certain point, his friend pulled the wool and was able to, through some legal stuff, take the entire company. He was, had nothing to dedicate his entire life. And he talks and tells the story very vulnerably, vulnerably in the book about how his dad, after one day, was like, oh, you had one day to sell. Now start your life again, you know? And he literally rebuilt his entire company in a different way. Um, and now his company literally is like overshadowing the other one, right? So it's a great story, but at the end of the day, it's all about you know, the specifics of what I talk about in that, in that chapter. And that's throughout, you know, and, and, and then the other two things that I did that was really cool is that, um, you know, I went through and thought about like, what is it that, that I love about leadership books, great leadership books. And then I asked all my friends and colleagues and peers, like, what is it that you take away? What is it that you like? And what I got a lot was like, people like challenges, 
people like journal prompts. People like to actually write physically in the book. Like, so put lines in, you know, like where people can fill stuff in. People want to watch videos. So in my book, there's QR codes straight to videos, right? There's all kinds of journal prompts where you're filling things out. This becomes more of a workbook than just a book. And so, and even checking back in after a chapter's done, it'll challenge you. Go do this with your team. Do this specific thing tomorrow. See if this helps you. And then come back and you can write about it. So those are things I love. And I just think that I'm I'm in the majority. I don't think I'm in the minority on that. And so I think that's why this, you know, the book launched on Sunday, 1-7. So whenever this, this goes, probably be a couple weeks from now. But, um, you know, it shot up to number one, you know, on, on the rankings, like right away. And people have been sending me some really good feedback, which just makes my day. But I think it has nothing to do with me. And it has everything to do with the fact that people right now are searching, I think, you know, I think people want to be great leaders. They want to improve. They do love their teams. I just think that that as we progress in our careers, we get less and less guidance. Does that make sense? So I think as a new manager, you get it a ton. You get management training. You get coaching. You get your you know your your direct support person. Your other all these things. It's like here you go, here you go. Then you get to the next level, right? Now you're a regional or something. You might go to a a management thing once a year or something. Then you get to a VP level. How much training did you get as a leader, as a vice president when you were VP at like, when you were legate? How many times were you, like, you're not getting training anymore, right? You're expected to now be the leadership trainer, right? Like, it's just, you just have to know it. Well, you don't know everything. So what becomes the only vein of training once we get to the higher levels? It's mistakes. It's learning, like, through what happens. And then, you might get some guidance or whatever. Or if you're someone like me, like I, I'm, I'm very blessed to have a ton of, you know, peers, people like, like you, right? Like we, we talk, you know, once every couple of months and like, I always gain so much from it, you know, but there's a lot of people out there that don't have as many contacts or don't have that peer level support, you know? And so I think, you know, when it comes to writing a book, it was like that it's for those, it's, it's really for a lot of those people. Cause this can be for your first day as a leader, but it can also be for, I'm a, senior vice president somewhere and like haven't done anything in leadership in years you know like man i sure could use some good things i can put in place tomorrow if that makes sense what does somebody have to do let's talk about that let's go very tactical and actionable let's say Mm -hmm. that somebody is is an advanced leader maybe somebody that's in a leadership position hasn't really done an audit or an evaluation of their leadership style maybe hasn't even thought about the change in audience maybe they're coaching and leading a team that's younger and older than them. What yep. is something they can do right now today to get clarity on maybe their strengths, their weaknesses, maybe some of the main areas of leadership that people have not been paying attention to that have really caused them to maybe decline a little bit? What can they do right now? Yeah, it's a great question. And um, it's almost like you knew about it, but hey, I'll tell you, there's a section in the book that talks about this, right? And it talks about at the very beginning of wanting to really improve as a leader, you have to level set, meaning you have to figure out where you're at, right? Where you're at, where's your team at? And so I actually give step-by-step guidance on how you do that as a level set, which is it's actually through a one-on-one process with each person, but it's through asking these very specific questions. And so I kind of map them out in the book, in the book but basically what it is is that you have to first come to somebody and say to them, the reason I'm coming to you today is because I'd like to be a better leader and I'd like for you to be successful. And I'd like for my relationship with you to be as best as it can, especially in the vein of helping you get to where you want to go. And I realized that I may never have told you this before, like how I like to lead and how I like to be led, but I haven't really asked you how you like to be led. 
So I have these specific questions you ask your person to, so that they're telling their leader, like, hey, to be honest, like, this is what I like. This is how I find the best way of the information. This is, and so there's like these steps that I go through. And what blows people away when they go through this process, and this is a challenge that I do in the book, is that they realize how different a lot of the people are on their team from them. And so sometimes it's a hard pill to swallow because you're like, oh, I might have been doing something a certain way for the last one, two, three, five years even. And then you have people on your team that are like, they're not even into it. You know, like, and I'll, I'll give you some examples, right? Like, even when it comes to praising, I talk about how you praise people. Think about this. There's people on your team today, whoever's listening out there. This is 100% facts. If you have five people on your team, there's someone on your team that absolutely hates it if you call them out in a meeting in front of everyone giving them praise. Think about that. Like, you're going to like, I'm going to call, I'm going to, I'm going to make a point to call them out in front of everyone. And that's going to be so cool. Well, inside they're dying. They hate it. Hate the attention. Absolutely the worst. But if you had asked them, they would have told you, you know what, if you would have put me in the monthly newsletter with the highlight there where everyone could read it, you know, and it's not like me in front of people. Oh my God, that would be awesome. I'd save it. I'd clip it out. I'd show my family. Like that would make me fired up. You see, but you would never know that if you didn't ask. And so those are some of the steps that I talk about, like how as you level set. It's also like, how do people want to have even like a one-on-one conversations and have meetings with you is a crucial one. I have people that they don't even want to have a standing meeting with me. You know what they want to do? They want me to take them to lunch once a month where it's just me and them. And we're sitting outside of the office and we're having lunch. We're able to talk about personal stuff, work stuff like that's like to them is like the best, right? I have some people that's like, I want my meeting at 8.15 on Monday every week when I can count on it and I know and I've got an agenda. Great. So do that. So the whole thing as a leader is like, if you really want to be good, you have to put your ego aside. You have to put aside, this is how I like it and understand that if you really want to get a lot out of somebody, then why don't you find out how they want to be interacted with? Why don't you find out how they would like to be treated, right? Whether it's good news, whether it's bad news. And so at the end of the day, if you do that, I can, I promise you, right, you will definitely find out stuff about yourself um, and you will definitely find out things about your team that you just didn't know, you know? So um, it starts with that process and then obviously it, it builds as the book moves on. All right. I can't let you off the hook on something. We got to go way back in time in this podcast interview. Yes. You said that we were talking about the good and the bad and we we're talking about, um, a life changing piece of advice that a mentor gave to you. You said you used to wring your hands, stay up all night when you had to fire somebody or make a major adjustment with employees. And that person yep. gave you a piece of advice that, that changed your work life. And then you kept going. We, I got to know <laughs> what that is. Well, people got to get the book. How much, how much I got, I can't give them all the goods. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, I'll tell you. So, so this guy, Brian, he, uh, he, I remember he flew down to San Diego and, um, and we went to dinner and I opened up to him that, that we had, I had to fire someone the next day. And that I was like, I, I can't, I think I was off. Like I wasn't being my normal laughing self or I was just so consumed by the thought of having to fire this employee that had worked for me for a while. And I think he could tell and he asked or kept drilling in. So finally opened up and said, I'm just mortified. I don't know how to do this. I always feel awful. Like I don't sleep, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he said, he looked right at me and he said, he said, Brett, have you done everything? in your power to help this person be successful? I said, yeah. You know, he said, did you give this person the tools that they needed to do the job or do the thing that whatever the specific thing was, right? They were getting let go for. Did you give them the tools? I said, yes. He said, then I will, I will tell you this and I will make you this promise. If you've truly 
given that person everything they need to be successful. You put your heart and soul into that person. You've done all these things. He goes, when you show up tomorrow to let them go, they will apologize to you for letting you down. He said, now, if you haven't done those things, then you should feel bad because you're letting someone go and you didn't give them your all. And that's when you should actually feel bad. Um, and, and I remember going like, I don't know, you know, that sounds cool or whatever, you know, and, and we'll see. And I show up the next morning and, and to let this guy go. And he literally actually broke down in tears, apologizing to me because I had put my all into helping this person. They just made a decision. It wasn't my fault. I can't, I can't be held accountable for the decisions they make. Everyone's adults, right? Um, but I took that knowledge of like, okay, I don't ever want to be sitting across from somebody in a situation where I'm putting them on probation or I'm, I'm firing somebody or whatever. And I have to feel the anxiety knowing I didn't give them everything that they need. Right. Because I learned a valuable lesson that day that if you have people will take ownership for their own stuff um, and it has nothing to do with you. And that's the fact like I, I, that did change the way that I operated, you know, and I did go into to difficult conversations and things with such a different mindset from that day moving forward. You know, I wish I ha- had it happened 10 years earlier, but I'm glad it happened at some point, you know. Um, does that make sense? You know, so so to me, yeah, it's you know, incredibly it, it's, powerful, incredibly yeah, powerful. And, and, and there's a lot of that stuff in the book, you know, so because like I said, a lot of it's about failures that I had, you know, and then what I learned from it or who taught me how to do something, you know, and, and, and at the end of the day, there, there is no book um, unless I've had amazing mentors, right? So that's the facts, you know, and even the dedication of the book is to only really have three supervisors in, in 18 years, which is kind of crazy, you know, three different companies, you know, and, so, and they're all incredible leaders in their own right. And so I learned so much, you know, through them, but, but even more so, I feel like I, always learn the most from the people who I lead, right? Because if you have that relationship where you constantly want to get better and you break the barriers down, of it's like me and you down here, you got to break those down. Those can't even exist because it's like, we're all humans first, right? We're just people. Everyone's working. Like we're, sh- we're not supposed to be working to live. We're supposed to be, or whatever it is, yeah, living to work. We're supposed to be working to live, right? Like, so we want to be able to do things and experience life. And, and I've always said this, and I talk about in the book, like nobody comes to work and it's like, I hope work sucks today. I hope my boss is lame. I hope he's overbearing. You know, I mean, like, that's just like, who says that, right? Nobody, right? It's like, you come into work. You know what adults want to do? They actually want to have fun. They'd actually like to joke around. They'd like to have things be more jovial, you know? But a lot of times we as leaders, we don't set the tone to allow that because we think, oh, people can't get their work done and do this. So that's like, that could not be more farther from the truth, you know? Because when teams are gelling, and having a good time doing what they're doing, that's when they perform the best. I've been around, you know, I've had, you know, at one point I oversaw everything west of the Mississippi, which was, I don't know, what, 12,000 people or something. I had all these teams and these directors and all stuff. And I can tell you, as you would fly around the country, I could literally leave a meeting with a group of, you know, district managers or whatever. And I just tell you if they're going to have a good, you know, Memorial Day or whatever, just based on like, okay, this team is not jealous. They're at this, a lot of drama going on. I'm like, you're telling me they're going to beat last year's? Like, nope. Versus you walk into a place where the energy is high, people are gelling. And like I said, there's no perfect team. But man, there's teams where things are gelling. And everyone wants to do good for everyone else, right? That's that positive peer pressure. You just walk out there going like, these guys are going to crush it. You just, you just know it, right? And so I think we've all experienced that, you know? And so the idea is how do you package that in whatever career you're in? 
right? Tell me uh, if you're a leader that maybe not be, you're potentially not the most dynamic person. Maybe you don't have the best sense of humor. Um, <laughs> a lot of people around you are like, how did they rise to that leadership position in the first place? But as a leader, you know, I think what you're talking about, it really resonates with me, creating conditions where people can feel like it's not sweaty, palmed, high negotiation, feeling like their shoulders can drop down a little bit from their ears and have a good time. And when you're having fun, you've already won. And so how do yeah. you as a leader create the conditions or give those little prompts and spurs to get people to start engaging, interacting, having a good time and gelling like you talked about? Yeah, I think I think, you know, you kind of you kind of said it a little bit, but I think it's that. Um, and, and that's another section of the book that, that I talk about, but I, I talk about transparency being very important and authenticity being huge. I've never been around a leader that was awesome, right? That I learned a lot from, or I really respected that wasn't authentic. Because as we progress, and I'm, when we talk about younger you know, employees, like not in like their tenure, but just in age, you talk about the 20 year olds, a 22 year old today, their BS meter is off the charts, higher than in any generation in history. And the reason is because they've been, since the time they're you know, 12, 13 years old, they've had a phone, They've had social media, they've had filters, they've had, you know, all these tags, like all these things that are making people look not real, looking situations not real. So they're constantly battling this, like, is this real life? Is this fake life? Is this, you know, you know what I'm saying? And so the yeah. idea that like, they're constantly having to sift through everything they see and be like, what's real or not, is, is something that no generation in history has ever had to deal with before, right? Like, our, our BS meter, when we were growing up in the, the 80s or 90s, was just like looking at someone. Like you only knew if you looked at someone, right? Face to face. Like, that was it. Like, is this person lying or not? You know, like, there was nothing else. Like, now these kids are having to deal with this all the time. And so what happens is they've become really good at knowing if someone is, is BSing them or not. That's the fact. And so I think what you have to do as a leader, and like, to your point, maybe you're not the funniest person. That's fine. What you've got to double down on is what makes you special. And you have to be confident enough to tell people like, I'm not that, right? But that I like that, or I want you to be what you are, right? And so when you come into those meetings, you know, instead of it being like, oh, I'm more, you know, um, rigid, or I'm more like serious, I like to have my points and all that kind of stuff. That's fine, because that's you, you double down on like, make people aware that like, okay, I'm really good at this part. So I'll do this for us. But I know that these people are really good at being engaging or being funny in the icebreakers or whatever. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to own the icebreaker because I'm not good at it, but I'm going to pick the person who really likes to do that and gets the meeting rolling and everyone's laughing. Like there's no reason a good leader can't do that. Right. Because it's like, it's just being honest with who you are, you know? And so I think that, you know, as, as leaders who are trying to progress, it should be a constant thing where it's like, what am I good at? It's inventory taking. And then you say, okay, hey, what can I do to pull people in to allow them to flourish in those areas where maybe I'm not as good. And that doesn't happen if you don't tell somebody that that's the case. They're not going to just do it. Like no person on your team is going to step, feel like I'm stepping on their toes unless you're invited to do so, right? Hey, I'm not great at this. You're so good at it. You know, like if this is something you'd like to do, you know, would you want to own this section of our meetings or our things like, oh yes, this would be great. Awesome. Fantastic, right? So you set the tone as the leader to do that. And then the caveat to that though, there's always a, a flip side of that. I taught for years. I taught um, disc assessment, right? Which is like personality traits. 
Uh, and, and one of the things that used to drive me nuts is that people would find out like, oh, I'm a, a D personality or I'm an I, right? Or, and then they were like, use that as an excuse to not progress in other areas. Does that make sense? So it was like they'd lock themselves in. Well, I'm direct, so I can be a dick. I can just tell you how it is and be like, well, I'm a D personality. It's like, no, that's not, that's not it. You know, actually, all it is is saying that your communication style is very direct. What it means, though, is if you want to have a good interaction with someone who's not a direct person, then actually you have to soften up your approach. That's actually what it's saying. But people kind of convert it to like, I'm not that. And the worst one, the worst one is that people will be like, oh, I'm not a creative. So I can't build this or I can't do that. I'm not creative. It's not what it means. What personality types mean, just like people say extroverted, introverted, right? I'm an extroverted introvert. What does that mean? I can go to the party and be the life of the party, but then I got to go home and sleep for a day because that's like drains me. I'm not an extrovert where I go and get more energy from being around people. I actually get drained. I, I like it. I just get drained, right? So personality is the same way. You can be creative. It just means it's harder for you. It takes more of your energy, right? But you can do it. And so I, I talk about this in the book, like challenging you, you. We all have to grow. Like if we stay stagnant as leaders, like we're not heading in the right direction. Anyone who's not constantly trying to pick up new things, grow, learn more about your team, you're, you're not just staying this, you're actually going this way. That's just it. So it's, to me, in my mind, you're going this way or you're going this way. There's no just kind of, I'm just staying the same because the, the playing field is constantly moving. You know, the hot take for me, as I hear you talk about your experience, your failures, the successes, the mentors you've had along the way, the experience that you've had as a leader and as somebody who's been led by others, it's like everything you talk, talked about maps back to leaders are people that are constantly thinking about other people. They are constantly thinking about how can I help this person with their individual character traits? How can I help this team better come together? These people that are a part of this team gel. How can I, as a leader, uh, evaluate this person as an individual, as opposed to as part of an organization? So I, I love that kind of bow on it, because when you really whittle it all down, leaders think about other people all the time. They're not thinking, I mean, you talk about strategy and vision and planning for the business and you know, pulling all the levers you need to pull to make the business come to life. And that's, that's certainly there. That's, that's part of what a leader has maybe has to do behind the scenes. But really when it comes down to it, if you're doing all that stuff alone, you're not really a leader. It takes people and it takes thinking about people nonstop. Yeah. And I would say, um, I learned this lesson early on, um, you know, Madison was, was my leader for an hour. We worked together, which is fine. He was my leader for 12 years or something. Incredible guy. You know, one of my best friends. Um, and something he taught me early on, I think, was it stuck with me my entire career, you know, which was he would always joke around. He would do this as a joke, you know, but he would always say, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm helping you. I'm leading you. I'm mentoring you so that you can take my job. That was always the thing. Like, and, it, and so instead of it being a negative, it was like a positive. He's like, I'm going to help you so much that you're better than me. Um, and even though it was like a, like a joke thing, it wasn't to me. Cause it was like, I always felt like he was giving me it all, even if that meant I could be better than you or something. Right. And I think that is like the true Testament of someone who really wants to be better at leadership, um, is do you, can you have a strong enough belief in yourself 
a true belief in yourself that you're okay with giving everything you have to somebody, even if that meant they could be better than you, right? Take your job one day, right? Like, like, could you give that at that level? Because if you can, the results of that are always off the charts, right? And, and, and the reality is, and, and the part that people might be scared of is dumb, because if you're so good at your job that you've led and trained people below you to be as good or better at something than you, you don't think that when whatever organization you're in, that's going to be seen as like the greatest thing ever. And then you're going to move up. Like, that's how it works. You know, like you protecting information or like protecting your, your skills or your leadership stuff and like not passing it down because you want to stay in this high role. Guess what that's going to do? It's going to keep you right where you're at. It's the opposite of what you think is going to happen, you know? And then those people down below, guess what? They're going to go seek that leadership guidance somewhere else. Or worst case, they're going to leave, right? Because they're not getting what they need to get. So safeguarding it, you know, makes zero sense, you know? And I think, you know, for me, for this book, you know, um, I would say a couple things that I'm really proud of is, is one, you know, I challenge my kids. So my kids are in the book which is really exciting, you know? So I was telling you before, our, we were talking before we got on the podcast about my son who rides his electric dirt bike and it's crazy. So like I actually, he wrote a whole section in the book. Um, he wrote it and it's the last chapter in my book is, is the D in charge for dive in. And what it represents is that if you want to be a great leader, there's no like dipping your toe in leadership. Like it's not one foot in, one foot out. Like you got to commit, like you got to be a leader, right? All Like full on. And so I had him tell the story and explain to people who might not know how you learn to pop a wheelie. So he rides this electric dirt bike. They go 70 miles an hour. It's like, imagine a full-on motocross dirt bike, but you ride it on the street. So I linked to his Instagram in there where he has like all these hundreds of thousands of views. But he basically talks about how the only way to wheelie, and you know this too, Mark, from being doing it on a mountain bike, you literally put your weight forward, you pull all your weight back, right? back like you're going to fall back and slam your head and then what do you have to do with the gas to hit the throttle it's the only way to do it is to pull back as if you're going to slam your head and then hit the gas of a bike that goes 70 miles an hour and then when you get right back before you're going to slam your head you let go of the power and then you feather the brake which it's like it's mind-blowing right but anyways the perk the point of it is hey i'm just really proud of him he's an incredible kid and it was cool for him to be in a published book so he was really excited about that but two the point is brilliant because it's the same thing with leadership, that there is no way to be a great leader without actually just fully committing to dive in. You can't keep doing the things you've done because you're just going to, there's that saying like, right? Like you keep, you keep doing the things you've done. You're going to keep doing, getting the things you got. That's not even true anymore. You keep doing the things that you're doing. You're going to get worse and worse. Like it's not, you're going to stay the same because you're going down, you know? And so you've really got to commit to it, you know? And then Secondly, I do the same thing. I have my daughter in the book, you know, who's this incredible 12 year old who has the most amazing outlook on life I've ever been around in my entire life, hands down. She has, she's able to see the positive in everything. And so I didn't have her write a section, but I interviewed her. So I posted the interview in here about her explaining how she looks at life. And sometimes it's really cool to stop and ask a kid who's 11, 12 years old about their take on something like this, because it's amazing what they say and how simple it is what she does. And so I won't spoil what she says in the book, but I'll have you read it, but it was pretty cool. And so I think, you know, um, more than anything, you know, I'm a dad first. And so I think that, you know, for me, putting them in the book was really cool and very special. Um, having them see it when it got printed, that was really cool, you know, but I think people will understand, you know, when they read the stuff, when they see the videos, when they know who I am on LinkedIn, like, I hope that they take this one message away, which is 
you know, I didn't write this book to make a million dollars. I would take a million dollars. That would be cool. Um, but that's not the purpose of the book. The purpose of the book is that I have to have a creative outlet. You know, the, the, um, the, I don't want to say embarrassing side of it, but the truthful side of it is that I'm a single, I'm a single dad, right? So I have three or four nights a week where I don't have my kids. And so for anyone out there listening who's a parent, they understand the time that comes with having kids, right? And then all of a sudden, if you've had that forever, and then all of a sudden you don't, you have nights where you're by yourself and it's quiet and it's silent, it's very difficult to deal with. And I dealt with that for years, right? And that's why I started a long time ago a blog and eventually I did the podcast, you know, with you guys in the past because I had to fill that void and I love to be creative. But this was a labor of love. Like this was, hey, what can I do at night before bed when I'm by myself? But more than just it being, what can I do to throw out there? It was like, what can I do to help other people? Um, because at the end of the day, I truly believe there's one currency in life and that's not money. Um, and it's not influence and it's not power. It's not status. You know, it's truly how you feel about yourself in the inside. And are you actually able to be happy? Are you, are you okay with who you are? Um, and that comes through loving other people. And that comes through getting that back. You know, Stanford did this study where they talked about true happiness and that only 10% of people actually have it. It's, and, and the one common denominator in that 10% is that they had a lot of connections with people that they felt 100% they could ask. And that person would say, I love that person. So how many connections you have with people where they say, I love that person and you love them. And like, I would do something for you and you do something for me. That's a real connection. That's what life is about. And I feel like when you do things like writing a book that helps people, you get more real connection. It opens up more conversations. And so that's why I did it selfishly. You know, like I, I love to do these kinds of things. I love, I love to talk to Mark and I love to talk to different people. And I think, you know, if you put yourself out there, it's pretty amazing what you can get in return um, because we're all striving for connection. And I think as leaders, we're looking for um, what is that next thing that can help us, you know, and help me and how can I help my team better? And so that's all this is. This is a small attempt at that. And I hope that people check it out. And, um, and, and if they do, then I hope they reach out to me and let, let me know how it went, you know? So I'm getting some great feedback so far and, um, hopefully it kind of continues to roll. BT, I can't thank you enough for coming back on the show. Congratulations on the book. You can check it out. It's on Amazon. It's called charged leadership plugin, your seven step cheat code to transformative leadership. Uh, and BT, like you talked about, if you, if you go over to, to LinkedIn and you search for Brett. Thornton, T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N. You can check out all the content that Brett puts out. And uh, we're going to also put your son's Instagram handle in the show notes. <laughs> yes. So if anybody oh, is kind sure. of like a crazy mountain biker or is into the Suron scene, you've got to check out some of the stuff he does. And I've also seen your she daughter. Is? You posted her online. Yeah. So I, can, I can only imagine how wonderful her little perspective is after seeing some of the stuff you've done with your kids. And you're an amazing dad. You're, you're a great writer. You're, you're an excellent leader and you're one of the voices I admire most in our industry, man. So thanks for, thanks for being on the show and, and sharing your yep. time, talent, and wisdom with us. No, absolutely, man. I really appreciate it. As always, I have a huge amount of respect for what you do and, and, and what you've been doing with the fans and, and especially for our industry needed it. Um, and so it's exciting to keep seeing you rise. And yeah, I would say, you know, um, yeah, anyone who checks out my son's Instagram, they'll know why there's so much gray going in this year. Very, very <laughs> easily explained. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks Thank again, you. man. And, and check out the book. I highly encourage you to, to give it a read and share it with your teams. And as always, if you're on Apple or Spotify or YouTube, be sure to subscribe, 
Share these podcasts with your friends, with your team, with your colleagues. And we'll see you back here next Monday for the Fan Podcast. Mm -hmm.